Well, I thought about taking the uh, handicap ramp up today as I've entered the uh, group of senior saints uh, today. I uh, got up this morning and uh, I told my wife, she said, happy birthday. I said, yes, I'm a year older. <laughs> Went to bed, different age, woke up a different age, but uh, it's good to be in the Lord's house. I will tell you, when you think about that song that we just sang, I want to encourage you to remember that... Uh, we get a great vivid description from the book of the Revelation about what heaven will look like, but that's not what heaven is all about, amen? Heaven is all about Jesus, and uh, that's what makes Jesus, that's what makes heaven sweet, is that we're going to go and be with our Savior, and uh, I will tell you, I'm excited this morning uh, to uh, learn uh, that heaven is going to be even sweeter in the days ahead, and uh, I, I want to just congratulate Brother Juan Carlo and his dear wife, Sonia. Praise the Lord for your decision this morning to uh, place your faith and trust in the risen Savior of the world, man. That's exciting already this morning. I can tell you that uh, nothing gets me more excited than to hear that people have placed their faith in Christ, and you know that that can take place during a Sunday morning Bible study, Amen. And so praise the Lord for that great news. I will tell you, I was very honored and privileged yesterday to, uh, to be a part of uh, the services for Jill Sunderland. And uh, there were five individuals yesterday uh, that made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're excited for that. Amen. And uh, I will tell you, the Lord blessed in a miraculous way. I would ask you to continue to keep Greg and Rhonda and the entire family in your thoughts and prayers during this season of loss. And certainly we want to continue to keep uh, Tim Faringer in our prayers as well and keep loving on him. I would ask you this morning, I know that our Sunday school classes are aware of this, but before we get into the message, and I don't want to derail the message, but I want to ask you as a church body uh, to mark it down in the recesses of your heart and mind to be praying for David Bledsoe this morning. David Bledsoe is one of our young men. He is currently over in Prince William Hospital in the ICU unit uh, and uh, had uh, pneumonia and then I uh, evidently had turned into COVID pneumonia and uh, is there um, on uh, oxygen trying to, uh, to attempt to bring down his saturation levels with the oxygen and uh, I want to ask you to pray that the Lord will continue to heal his body. Uh, so that he would not have to go on a ventilator. That is a real possibility uh, this morning. He has already given the uh, hospital, he's coherent, has been able to give the hospital the clearance they need to do that procedure, but uh, we want to ask the Lord to intervene in that situation. And obviously with that, I ask you to pray for Leslie and their little daughter Hannah, and then also Jim and Anita and the rest of the family during this time. If you have your Bible... I'll tell you, today is a day that uh, we're going to see some parents come and dedicate their little ones uh, back to the Lord. I'm excited about that. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 this morning. And uh, I want to talk to you just for a few moments of time on the topic of handle with care. And I think, uh, you know, most of us, if you've uh, lived over the last year and a half, has anybody gotten packages at your house? It seems like a lot more people are shopping through this uh, thing called Amazon or Walmart online or maybe you get your food online and they ship it to your door and everything. 
And if you ever notice the boxes of some of these things, especially if there's glass inside, what does the box say? Handle with care. But you know the Lord gives us something, something so precious in a child that we ought to handle those blessings, those precious gifts from God. We ought to handle them with care. And uh, I want us to look at what Scripture says this morning and then talk a little bit about it. Look with me in Psalm 127, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain or useless for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat of the bread of sorrows. Chuck, that would have gone even with the Sunday school lesson. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Look at verse number three. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of a womb is his reward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today in your house. God, we thank you for families that have gathered. We thank you for the victories of yesterday. Lord, we thank you for the celebration of Juan Carlo and Sonia today. Lord, we just give you the praise and the honor and the glory for those decisions. Lord, we come to you today as a needy people, as a hungry people, as a hurting people many times. And so, Lord, we cast our care on you because we know that you care for us. Lord, today we ask that you be with the doctors and the caregivers overseeing David's health. Lord, I pray that you'll work in his body. I pray that you'll work in Leslie's heart and in the rest of the family. God, that you might just continue to show yourself strong during this season, this difficult season that we all find ourselves in. But Lord, today we celebrate what you're doing through the hearts of parents who have desired and have decided to come here this morning to dedicate their children back to you. So, Lord, we do celebrate that. We are excited for these decisions. And, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word that we'll all be encouraged, that we'll all be comforted, but, God, we'll also all be challenged in this moment of time. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor for whatever you'll do. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ, as their Savior, somebody watching online that doesn't know Christ, that today would be the day that they would recognize your goodness, they would recognize your love, and they would place their faith and trust and confidence in Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you'll do in the coming moments of time. And we give you the praise in advance in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, it's been said, and I think they'll be able to put it on the screen. It's been said that the most important work that you or I will ever do will be within the walls of our own home. Think about that. The most important work that you and I will ever do will be within the walls of our own home. And you may be thinking this morning, well, I'm not sure that's true. But I can tell you, sadly, in 2021, the reality of the situation is that families are under attack like never before. If you're not aware of it, your family is under attack. If you've not been clued into the news, or maybe you don't even listen to the news, by the way, I would encourage you not to 
stay focused on the news 24-7 because you'll have a hard time dealing with worry like Chuck was teaching about this morning in Bible study. But the reality is these attacks come from all different angles of life. And biblically, we're cautioned about the dangers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we, we see that. We can recognize that in Scripture. Uh, I think about the world today concerning your family. Years ago, what's interesting to me is today, 55 years young, years ago, the family was actually celebrated. The family was not only celebrated, it was, it was supported, it was celebrated, it was lifted up as something that was good. Today, the world tells us that the family is bad. The culture around us is doing everything to undermine and destroy the biblical foundations of the home. In fact, I put in my notes the concept of morality, marriage, and the biblical makeup of the home and family is not only sweeping this, this attack on the morality, marriage, and the makeup of the home, is not only sweeping our country, but it's overtaking the world. And so the family's under attack. In fact, uh, I'll be, let me just be real transparent with you this morning. I'm against anything that's wrong biblically. Racism is wrong biblically. Everybody agree? But I got news for you. I just heard this one. It blew my circuit breaker the other day, and the Lord must have allowed me to hear it because he knew I was going to be talking about family and handling our children with care. But I heard the other day that now it's racist if we have a biblical home. If we have a father, a mother, and a child, that's racism now. Let me tell you something. That is not racism, okay? Don't listen to the lies. Uh, listen. Hey, we want to nip it in the bud, right? I don't, I, I'm not for racism. I'm always against it. But when you get on the radio or the television and you tell me that having a biblical foundation of a home, the makeup of a home, now that's racism? I mean, every holiday is racist. Everything is turning racist. Let me tell you, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? So listen, we got to stand on something. Or as my predecessor said, you'll fall for everything. Woo, I might get worked up this morning. So the world attacks our family. Do you know also that, here, here's another thing, your flesh, my flesh attacks the family. Your flesh is always wanting to do battle with the spirit. And so sometimes your flesh and the spirit do this. They have old boxing match. Because the spirit doesn't like the flesh and the flesh doesn't like the spirit. So we got the world attacking the family. We got the flesh attacking the family. And then we got to deal with the old dirty devil. The devil is out there to annihilate you. He is out there to destroy you. In fact, do me a favor. I, I wasn't going to do this. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. Because a lot of times a pastor will say something, you're like, yeah, but is that really in God's word? I mean, is it really true what you're saying? Look with me in John chapter 8, because I want you to know something. Parents, the devil hates you, and he hates your children. Sir, he hates your marriage. Ma'am, he hates your marriage. Young people, he hates everything that you think you are doing. He hates it. He doesn't want you to have a family. And so this is what the devil is all about. Look with me in John chapter 8 and draw your attention down all the way down to verse 44. 
And here's what Jesus says. Jesus is talking about the devil, and he says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. That ought to get our attention. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Now, here's the reason why he abode not in truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Listen, we got to stop listening to the devil. Hold on, let me say that again because I'm not sure you're convinced. We got to stop listening to the devil. Please, convince yourself. If you need to be convinced, come around me. I'll remind you day in and day out. If you need me to call you tomorrow and remind you that the devil is a murderer and he's a liar and there's no truth in him, I'll do that. But the reality is you shouldn't need me to remind you because God's already said it. And whether you like this saying or not, when God says it, thank you, it settles it. See, we've gotten to the point where in the family, sometimes we trust what the liar says. Sometimes we trust what a murderer says. We trust this lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. We're like, oh yeah, the devil told me I'm bad, so I guess I'm bad. Let me tell you something. God loves you so much that he lost. He gave his own son. Rhonda, remember I was sharing that yesterday. He loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much. If you've never heard that before, can I tell you today that Jesus loves you? This I know because the Bible tells me so. If you've never understood that, you've never experienced his love, I want you to know today The devil hates your family, but Jesus loves you, and he loves your family. We've got to stop listening to the devil. He's a murderer. He wants to deceive us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to rule us. He wants to accuse us. And Charles Stanley even said this morning, he wants to divide us. You say you heard Charles Stanley this morning? Yeah, I I listened to old Charles doing his thing, 7 a.m. How amazing. He was talking about Satan's attack. I would say I look around and the devil's doing a good job of dividing us. You know, divide and conquer. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, the wise man, says a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so we must remember what the Bible says. As we look around, our families are falling apart at record paces. And instead of dealing with the real enemy, I look in the United States of America today and what's taking place not only here, but it's taking place all around the world is instead of focusing on Jesus and understanding that we have the abundant life in Jesus Christ, we spend so much time attacking and tearing one another down. In fact, the sheep are killing the sheep. Churches are destroying themselves from within. Believing a lie. Oh, we got to remind ourselves on a daily basis, as Paul told that church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our war is not with one another. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. And since we understand that I'm not wrestling against you and you're not wrestling against me, but we're wrestling against some spiritual wickednesses, that's why verse number 13 says that you and I need to take on or put on the whole armor of God. Oh man, today's a special day. It's a special day because parents are actually going to do something biblical today. They're going to dedicate their children back to God. But I can reassure you that this message is not just for parents. It's for everybody in this room.
You say, well, I'm not dedicating a child. I don't have a child. I'm, I'm, you know, not doing that. I've done that. I'm through with that. Listen, you're never through, by the way. If you still got air going through your lungs, you're not through. God's got a reason for you being here. And so no matter whether you're married, widowed, divorced, or single, whether you have children of your own or not, everything that we talk about today can be applied some way to our lives you see, because at the end of the day, here's the, here's the deal. At the end of the day, every person in every family makes a choice of how they're going to build their lives. What, what, what are the things that I'm going to build my life on? What are the things that are going to be hard and fast for me? What are the things that are going to drive me? What are the things that are going to hold my family together? What are the things that are going to hold me together? And so this is for everyone the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's important for us to recognize, understand, and build upon the right foundation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ himself is our chief cornerstone. You may recall that passage at the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, you can look at it if you'd like. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, 25, 26, and 27. He's talking about building uh, a foundation. What, what type of foundation are we going to build our lives? What are we going to build our homes on? And many of you have heard or read this text, and Jesus basically puts forth the idea that the wise man... The wise man actually builds his home on a rock so that when the rains fall, when the floods come, when the winds of life come, and they do and they will, that house, that home will stand. But Jesus also likens another builder, someone who builds his house or home on the sand and when the rains come, when the floods come and the winds blow, you know what Jesus said, the house will fall. And not only did he say it will fall, but he said Great was the fall of it. And so Jesus' advice and counsel is clear. We need to build on the right foundation. In fact, Isaiah 28 and 2 Timothy 2 talk about that right foundation. They actually refer to it as a sure foundation, a steady foundation. And so that's how we need to build our homes. Proverbs 14, 11, notice what the Bible says. It says, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. When it comes to the foundation of our life, it really makes a difference. It makes a difference what you believe. It also makes a difference in how you build and also who you allow to be the master builder of your home. Listen, if I try to build the home, problem. If you try to build the home, bigger problem. Me, bigger problem. When God builds the home, no problems, amen? You say, well, I let the Lord build the home and my kids are driving me crazy, my grandkids are worse, and yada, 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 yada. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Notice verse number one. It's pretty straightforward here back in our text. Verse number one says, except the Lord build the house, 
They labor in vain, or it's wasted labor, it's useless labor, that try to build it. In other words, what Scripture is telling us is that without a divine partnership in place, our best laid plans, our best intentions, our best efforts are wasted. Honestly, the outcome of such efforts of a home will be filled with turmoil and anguish and frustration and despair and despair. You see, when we attempt to build on a foundation of human, human enterprise, reasoning and sufficiency, we're setting ourselves up for a big old fall. Someone said this, it says, when it comes to the family, no task succeeds apart from God's will and God's power. Now, I pointed this out many years ago when I was teaching on this passage, but notice the very beginning, and look in your Bible, right before verse number one, notice what it says. In my Bible, it says, a song of degrees for Solomon. Everybody see that? Most, most Bibles will have that, some may not. But in my Bible, it says, a song of degrees for Solomon. Now, some of you may be saying, well, good for him. Good for him. What's that, what's that to me? I mean, what's the big deal, a song of degrees? Well, it's important for all of us to understand that. From biblical history, we can understand some things where it says, a song of degrees for Solomon. You say, well, enlighten me, Pastor. Well, Solomon was not only David's son. He was not only a great king. He was selected to build the temple. You remember, David prepares for the temple. Solomon actually builds the temple. And so as a builder... He understood, like Sonny, he, he understood how to build. He understood what was involved in the building process. And he recognized that building was hard work. You say, well, I still don't get it. Well, if Solomon understood building, he understood it was hard work. He understood what, was, what it took to build. And this text says it's a song of degrees for Solomon. And then you look at verse 1. Notice. If Solomon knew all that could be known about building, then why in verse number one did the wise men say, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You see, Solomon understood that there must be an agreement. There must be an acceptance of who is and who will be doing the building in our homes. And so for the purpose of today's message and dedication of children, this agreement must continue when it comes to our most precious resources. I say all the time, Amos chapter 3 and 3, I talk to couples all the time that are getting married and we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, but Amos 3, 3 says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? I got news for you. You might be agreed with your partner, but if you guys are not agreed with God, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 declares that our children are in heritage. Now that word heritage means blessing. Our children are a blessing of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Now i got news for you. The Lord blesses every different family in all kinds of ways. This is not the only way that the Lord blesses families. But verse 3 indicates that children are actually, you ready for it? They're actually gifts from God. Now, it would be better to understand, a stronger understanding of this would be to understand that children, right here, are gifts that actually belong to God. They belong to God. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. 
And so as mom and dad, guess what? Our requirement is to be the very best steward that we can be with our children while we have them, so to speak, under our care. And so if I'm not being the very best steward of our children while they're under my care, you, get, you, know, what, you know what the military would say I was? They'd say I was derelict of my duty. So children, the next time you want to holler at dad or mom because they're trying to handle you with care, because they're trying to raise you up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, just remember that mom and dad are going to give an answer to God for how they handled you. That's why we're talking about handling with care. When we truly understand God's plan and desires concerning children within the family unit, by the way, the family unit that only he establishes, it will change our perspective, and honestly, it should change our outlook on parenting. I referenced it just a moment ago, but Proverbs in 22 and verse 6, the Bible says, train up. Now that phrase, train up, literally means initiate. Initiate or educate a child in the way that he should go, i.e., the way of the Lord. Now, I know some commentators will say, uh, train up a child and according to their bent, according to their likes, their dislikes, their temperament, their this, that, and the other. The reality is we need to train them up in the ways of the Lord. They might be introverts. I got an introverted son and I got an extroverted son. I'll let you all guess which one is which. Y'all can figure that out on your own. And I don't think it'll take you very long. But my responsibility is not to be like, and then be, hey, what's up with the other one? Come on, brother, come on. No, my responsibility is to train them up in the way of the Lord, to tell them about Jesus, and to set a proper example them. That's how we handle them with care. We're instructed to dedicate our children to the Lord first with the expressed instructions. Look at this verse again, guys. Show it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have expressed instructions to nurse, to teach. Hey, I got some medical professionals out here getting ready to dedicate their children. Your job, congratulations, you thought your job ended when you got off the ship, but your job is to nurse at home. Not just John Jr., but John the first over here. Or no, he's like the third or fourth. They got so many Johns in that family, I, I don't even know, right? You, you got a job, Tori, to nurse, to teach, and to discipline as God's child who has been entrusted in our care, we all have this reality of handling our children with care. And by the way, let me just say, this is a message on handling with care. This is not a message on disciplining your children. But can I tell you that's biblical? It's actually biblical. I know the world. Listen. <laughs> I told you I had one son who was an introvert and I had one son who was an extrovert. I had one son who needed very little correcting, and I had another son who needed a little bit more correcting. Can I put it that way, Chuck? It's actually biblical. And I know, I know parents are getting ready to dedicate their children, and I know that your little angel would never do anything wrong because they're perfect just like you. I didn't say like dad. I said like mom. Travis, get your halo off. All right. 
I know. Right? I know that we think that our little children, Pam, that your little girl will be perfect and she'll never do anything wrong. You've probably already figured out that's not true. Right? We, we convince ourselves this, but the reality is we do our children a disservice when we don't lovingly correct them. The Bible, you say, where do you get all this stuff? All this mumbo jumbo talk about training them up and loving them and disciplining them. Well, the Bible, the wise man says in Proverbs 13 and verse 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. I'll just let that sit for a second. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The point is not, the point is not to abuse a child. Anybody who looks at scripture and says, oh yeah, there's my, there's, there's, there's my, there's my opportunity. I can just, I can just go to town and no, sir, if that's your heart, then you've got the problem, not the child. Ma'am, if that's your heart, the child's not the one with the problem because they touched the candy in the aisle at Walmart. The problem is what's going on in your heart. We have to handle with care and handling with care means that we need to be right with God. You see, the point is that we could not do a greater disservice to our children when it is called for if we fail to correct them. Proverbs 3 and verse 12 tells us, For whom the Lord loveth, He corrects. The Lord just doesn't let us wander aimlessly, sin after sin after sin, without dealing with us. He says He corrects, even as a father, the son whom He delights in. Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. This is talking about neglect, not about discipline. Proverbs 29, 17, two verses later, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give thee delight unto thy soul. It's actually biblical to correct children. By the way, look around. Everyone in this room is somebody's child. So before you think, ah, I'm glad I'm not a child anymore. No, you're still somebody's child. And you know what? You may be out of the purview of your parents. But the Lord still loves you enough to chasten you too. We have to be careful with this thing. All of these verses are pointing to a child's growth through biblical and loving parents. They're not giving us a license to abuse children. Well, I just don't believe in that. Well, the problem isn't with me saying it. Your problem is with God's word. You say, I, I, well, the world tells us that we should do this. What did I tell you at the beginning of the message? The world is coming after your family. We need to quit listening to the world and start listening to God. Oh, listen, it may, and, and I didn't hear any amens on that. Thank you, Darren. We... You know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, I hear what the pastor says, but I'm going to go out here and I'm going to listen to what Dr. Such and Such tells me about my children. I got the greatest book in the world. The special revelation from very God of very God who gives us instruction for every part of our life. Why would we not take it and use it? But here's what we like to do. I love that verse. No, 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 no. And by the way, while I'm at it, Pastor, let's just go back here. And uh, I'm going to 
I don't need the Old Testament. You do need the Old Testament because the Old Testament points us to Jesus. And the New Testament confirms Jesus. Oh, listen, we have to be careful. This world is trying to sell us uh, a false bill of goods. You remember the story in Luke chapter 2, and I actually referenced it a little bit, uh, making a comment in Sunday school. Uh, Luke chapter 2, they go up for the Passover feast, mom and dad and Jesus, and they leave. And the big caravan's heading back, heading back to Nazareth. And, and about a day, they get a, about a day away from the city of Jerusalem. And mom and dad, they realize Jesus isn't there. And so they begin to worry. We were talking about worry. They, they begin to get concerned. And so they make the trek back to Jerusalem. And if you know the story in Luke chapter 2, you know that they come and they find Jesus in the, uh, in the temple. And it says this. It says in verse 46, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all of them heard him, were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? In verse number 50, and they, and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And notice what Jesus did. And was subject unto them. He submitted himself to the leadership of his mom and his dad. And it says, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And notice what takes place in the Jesus, this 12-year-old boy. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And this verse, look at verse 52 again. It's talking about the increase of his wisdom, speaking of his mental growth, his increase in stature, his physical growth. He grew in favor with God, speaking of his spiritual growth. And he also grew in wisdom toward man, pointing to his social growth. And so Jesus was a complete person in the person of Jesus Christ, growing spiritually, physically, mentally, and socially. And here's the deal. Mom and dad, our children must be doing the same thing. If you raise them up and you only grow them physically, you're like, man, look at this boy grow. Mm, growing like a weed. But you never tell them about Jesus. Shame on you. If you grow them up socially, just to love everybody and Man, just whatever goes on socially, man, just agree with the society. Don't, don't ever question it. Just be an agreer. Just be an agreer all the time. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And you never grow them physically, spiritually, or mentally. Shame on you. See, it, it's important that our children be taught and shown how to live biblically. It's so important. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And I put in my notes, we cannot teach the mind of Christ to our children if we do not have the mind of Christ as mom and dad. And I can assure you that you and I will not have the mind of Christ unless we actually have the mind of Christ. You say, where do we find the mind of Christ? Right here in His Word. Until we absorb it, till we read it, absorb it, and meditate on it, we're not going to make decisions based on the Word of God. Who are we fooling? We'll make decisions based on the third person of us. Me, myself, and I. The three persons of me. Me, myself, and I. Psalm 119 and verse number 11. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
The best lessons will always, always come from deeply held personal beliefs. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You say, well, look at the verse. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Why is that important? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as moms and dads, see, before we speak to our children, before we tell our children what we think they need to hear, we need to make sure, make sure where it's coming from. Make sure that it's coming from deeply held beliefs. Oh, listen, if we hope to communicate and teach anything to our children, biblically to our children, then we're going to need to spend time in God's Word. It was uh, John Gill in his exposition of the entire Bible. Here's what he said. He said, care and diligence are to be used and pains taken to instruct children as soon as they are capable in the knowledge of God and of his commandments, that they are to love him, to fear him, to serve him and worship him. This, this is what it means to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, some of you know that I have a couple of life policies that I tend to adhere my life to. And uh, I've tried to communicate them to my children over the years in various ways and sometimes succeeded and sometimes have not. But uh, I realize every day that I'm not perfect. Anybody else here perfect? Nobody? I'm not perfect and neither are you. But here's some of my policies. Number one, my policy, and I shared it with you a few weeks ago, but in case you forgot it, my number one policy is misery loves company, and I don't want to be the company. Misery loves company. I don't want to be the company. I would encourage you to adopt that policy. Stay away from people who want to try to bring you down because there's a lot of people who want to bring you down. Secondly, the lessons we teach, here's a, here's, here's a life policy. The lessons that we teach should actually be a dose of leading by example. I actually serve and I try to lead by example. If a rug needs to be vacuumed, I vacuum it. If a toilet needs to be cleaned, I clean it. If laundry at my house needs to be done, I do it. If dishes need to be cleaned, I know men are getting scared right now. If dishes need to be done, I do it. Not because the queen and the queen mother tell me I have to do it. <laughs> but because you see, when I was in the military, I learned a little thing called leadership by example. What we got running on today in our country is uh, leadership by the distribution of responsibilities. I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to let you do that. I got news for you. I believe in the very core of my being that leadership by example is the best method of leadership. Now, it's okay to distribute responsibilities and say, hey, would you get me a cookie on the way by? I'm, I'm doing the laundry. Or whatever, right? We can distribute responsibilities. But if you're not willing to be a leader and set the example, then you're really not a leader. And so if you're going to teach your children something, if you're going to handle your children with care, then you've got to actually set the example. That means living a life of faith. It's not always been easy living a life of faith. 
There have been times that my wife and I have struggled making decisions of faith. One of them was when we left Northern Virginia and went out to the forsaken land of Missouri. I'm just kidding. Missouri's great. And our oldest son hated us. Hated us. Hated us for taking that step of faith. And do you want to know how much God loves him? On the very first day of school, he brought his future wife to his lunch table. So I guess he's pretty happy we went to Missouri. You never outgive God. You can never outgive God. You can never outdo God. He loves you. He cares for you. And so he's blessed you. If he's blessed you with children in that regard, it's incumbent upon you to handle that child with care. It's a special thing. So here's some rapid fire things. If you want to write them down, you can. If you want to forget them and say, oh my, that's up to you too. Here's some things that I think we ought to be teaching our children. Number one. We need to be teaching our children to love God and love people. Hold on. I thought that would at least get an amen. We ought to be teaching our children to love God and love people with their heart, their soul, and their mind. We need to teach our children to have a zeal, or the word zeal means passion. We need to teach our children to have a zeal or a passion for the things of God. Little, little ones actually emulate and repeat everything they see. Pam, she's going to emulate everything she sees in you. She's probably already doing it. You're probably like, man, this girl, this girl is just like mama. <laughs> this girl, I'm going I'm to get a hold of her. <laughs> Megan, I'm sorry. Jeremiah probably emulates everything he sees about Travis. Yeah, she, she pointed about Travis. Tori, I know. Uh, Josh, congratulations, everyone. They're emulating the things they see. And it begins very, very soon. And so if you want your child to have a passion for God, then you better, listen, it, it said, if you want someone to jump a foot, you better jump three feet. And so sometimes, dads, moms, you may get the rap sheet that you're a little overboard. It's okay. It's okay. Just teach your children to have a passion for God. Number three, we ought to teach our children to serve God. Bible says in Colossians 3.23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. No matter what the task may be, no task is too small when it comes to serving God. Number four, we need to teach our children to listen first. Here's Here's a novel thought. Listen first and speak second. Man, I get, I'll be honest with you. It amazes me how fast people are ready to tell me what's going on in this world. I get calls and texts all the time, and they're like, Pastor, did you know this? Did you read this? Did you see this? Yeah, I saw it. But you know what? Sometimes it's okay, and I'm not calling anybody a fool, but the Bible says don't answer a fool after their folly. Sometimes you don't need to even address things. You just let God take care of it, okay? Teach your children to listen first. James says this, Let every man be swift to speak, slow to, uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And then Ephesians 4, verse 15 says, Speak the truth in what? Love. Not anger, not malice. Speak the truth in love. Number five, we need to tell our children, we need to teach our children to learn to have confidence in God. 
Everything God does is worthy of our trust. Whether we like it or we don't, we can trust him. The Bible says, and Chuck had no idea, but in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 26, one more verse beyond where you were, verse 24 and 25, verse 26 says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. John, 1 John 5 and verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. Listen, and I'm going to get there in just a second, but the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Here's the really cool thing. If I'm trusting God, then I don't have to rely on my own understanding. I just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep telling my kids about Jesus, and I'm going to trust you to work it out. Number six, we need to teach our children about being committed to God. The only way they're going to be committed to God is if they actually see that you, sir or ma'am, are committed to God. If you're a part-time player when it comes to your spiritual journey, then guess what? Don't expect your children to be a full-time player in their spiritual journey. That's a hard truth, but it's the reality of life. We must be full-time committed to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Number seven, we need to teach our children to stay in close fellowship with God. They need to stay in close fellowship or remain in close fellowship. In fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter 15 and verse number five, Jesus says, I am the vine. He says, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. James 4 and verse number 8 says, tells us to draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto us. Number 8, rapid fire here. We need to teach our children that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the best choice. Being a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ is the best choice. Listen, the world is going to offer a lot of choices. 2021, they're offering more and more choices, more and more lies, more and more filth, more and more, and you can fill in the blank. But our children will learn that Jesus Christ is the best choice if and when they see mom and dad saying that Jesus Christ is the only and the best choice. Jesus said in, John, in Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Number nine, here's one that's really important, mom and dad. We need to teach our children to have a real hatred for sin. We need to teach our children to have a real hatred for sin. In Proverbs 97 and verse 10, the Bible says, Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Proverbs 8, 13, The fear or the reverence of the Lord is to hate evil. When we see sin, if we condone it, our children will condone it. If we say that that's okay, then our children say that that's okay. We have to stand up and say no. Hate the sin, love the sinner, by the way. A lot of times we say, man, that person. No, remember, we don't fight, fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual wickednesses, spiritual darkness in high places. And so we need to hate the sin but love the sinner. And then number 10, 
Here's kind of the last of these for today. I mean, I have a whole lot more, but just for today, we need to teach our children to pursue godly wisdom. To pursue godly wisdom. The writer of Proverbs, this wise man Solomon says in Proverbs 2 and verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. In Proverbs 3, verses 1 and following, he says, he says this, he says, My son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandments. For the length of thy days and long life and peace shall they add unto thee. He's giving these promises here. He says, verse number 3, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. He says, bind them about thy neck, write them on the table of thy heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Oh yes, my friends, Jesus, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. It was Albert Barnes, he once said these words, he said, happy are those children who actually imitate the example of Jesus who are obedient to parents, who increase in wisdom, who are sober, temperate, industrious, and who thus increase in favor with God and people. You may be here and you may be saying, I'm a parent. I get it. You just ran through 10 things, like super fast. I get it. I need to handle my children with care. Pastor, let me ask you a question. When should I start communicating these truths to my children? When should I start? Now. Say, well, my child's seven years old. Now. My child's 22 and they won't listen to me. Now. My, child, my child's 34 and, and they've already left the house. They're married. Now. Now. A child will never cease to be your child. You'll never cease to be someone's child. So the reality is it doesn't matter how old they are. If they were just born uh, a couple of months ago, or if they're a year old, if they're two years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, if you have the opportunity, you need to be teaching these biblical truths to your children as you can do so. Look back at Psalm 127. I want to read a verse that we didn't read. As we begin to wrap up, notice it says in verse 4, in verse 4 it says, As arrows, speaking of the children, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. There's a great analogy here, the picture of an archer and the influence that an archer has over an arrow. The, here's the deal. The reality is an archer has no greater influence over an arrow than when he is holding it. Once the arrow is let go, the archer has no control over it. So where the archer aims, how steady the archer is, how deliberate, how purposeful, how uh, uh, obedient to his own training and teaching and relationship with Jesus is going to be incumbent how that archer pulls back and is ready to release that arrow. The greatest control is when it is in the archer's hand. The same is true with our children. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3. In verse number 13 and 14, he said, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth to the things which are before. And here's what he says in verse number 14. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The reality of the verse in application for the message today is to quit thinking about yesterday. Yesterday is over. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus today. Aim the arrow today. Train the child today. Handle that child with care. Train that child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Dad, mom, parents, as we're given the opportunity, we need to keep pressing towards the mark because here's what I know. Life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. In Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48, the Bible tells us, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Now, without doing an injustice to the context of that statement, I think we could take it and apply the principle to our lives when it comes to this idea of our biblical responsibilities and our biblical requirements of raising our children. And I pray that's exactly what parents will do as they have the opportunity each and every day. Grandpa, Grandma, your job's not over yet either. Aunts and uncles, your job's not over yet. It doesn't matter what station of life you find yourself in. Every one of us can have influence over a child that we know. And so I encourage you to do that as unto the Lord. Would you pray with me? As we prepare, parents, I want to encourage the parents who will be dedicating their children. If you need to go pick up your angels, uh, we're going to have our dedication here right after a short time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, we come to your throne of grace. God, your throne of mercy where we can find grace and help in our time of need. And Lord, these children, these gifts that really belong to you are so incredibly important. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray that we have been reminded today to handle these gifts with care. These gifts that you have given, these gifts that you have blessed us with, God, help us to take these truths and apply them to our own lives. That we might be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday and tomorrow than today and on and on. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the family. God, I pray that you would do something that only you can do in this country and that's draw the hearts of men and women back unto yourself that our country once again might return itself to a time when it seemed that family was supported and celebrated to a time when Jesus was high and lifted up on the throne Lord we need your wisdom we need your strength we need your guidance so many things are taking place and it seems like we have forgotten you in every decision that's made. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. God, I pray that you would give us the wherewithal to live in such a way and raise our children in such a way and, 
our nieces and nephews and grandchildren in such a way, God, that you receive the glory for it. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.